0: Good morning, everyone. It's lovely to see you. You all look very sharp. You've got your fall gear on, lots of sweaters, some vests. You look great. Awesome. I'm glad to be here today. Uh, As Karis mentioned, my name is Matt Rumbaugh. I uh, lead a small group that meets in Random Hills. People, let me hear it. Yeah. And uh, and I get to serve as one of the elders here. So it is a pleasure to be here. We are going to finish the sixth and final part of a series we've been doing the last few weeks called Living Scent how the gospel gets out. And we are looking at this issue, how can we be gospel multipliers in our community through our six pursuits as a church, or another way to think of that might be our six core values. That's not quite what they are, but it's close enough. So we started week one, Pastor Matthew Nicosia, uh, talked about courageous evangelism, just what it means to be bold and active and sharing our faith. And then Hang talked to us about fervent prayer, about praying for those in our lives who are unbelievers right here in our community, all around the world. Uh, JT Gill talked about purposeful disciple-making, what it looks like to actually make that a rhythm in our day-to-day life. And then my buddy Will talked about uh, passionate worship. The object of all of this is the person of Jesus, and he is worthy of that. And then last week, my friend Dave Kelly talked about bold preaching. So today, we are going to wrap this up uh, by talking about strategic church planting. And I know some of you are like, okay, I don't really know why we're talking about this, Matt. I don't know, I've never heard a sermon about this. I don't know how you preach a sermon about this. I'm not a church planter. I'm not going to go start doing this. I don't really understand why I need to listen to this. And uh, hey, I get it. I get it. Like, Casey, you're probably not going to go out and start a church. God may change your life, and you may get called to uh, go start a church. That would be awesome. We'll support you when you do. Uh, But, you know, most of us are not likely to go out and start a church. Uh, And so, you know, this can be a little esoteric for us. What's actually the connection here? Uh, and so what do we want to talk about today is why this actually matters, why this is one of our core values as a church and what it looks like. And so to begin with, I'm going to tell you a little secret. Are you ready for this? I might have to, I might have to whisper because it is a secret. It's not really about church planting. Strategic church planting is not really about church planting. Okay, so some of you are like, okay, smarty pants, if it's not really about church planting, then what is it about? Well, it turns out to be about this idea called multiplication multiplication. It's not really about church planting. It's about multiplication, specifically spiritual multiplication. So that's what we want to do this morning. We want to talk about what multiplication is, what we mean when we use that term. Uh, We want to look at the pattern in scripture, and we'll see that evidenced uh, for us. And then we'll talk about what it actually means for us as a church, uh, as a corporate unit here, but then also for us as individuals. So let me start with this. Uh, do we have the picture? Oh, there it is. Thank you, Karen. OK. So uh, you got a chess board here. I know we have some chess players. How many of you guys like to play chess? OK, a few. Did you guys watch The Queen's Gambit on Netflix? That was amazing. It made me want to start playing chess. I didn't start playing chess. So Anyway, we have a picture of a chessboard. Now, imagine this. Imagine that sort of on that, that first square there, I start with a single grain of rice. And then on the second square, I put two grains of rice. And then on the third square, I put four grains of rice. You see the pattern here? We're doubling. By the time we get to the last square on the chessboard, how many grains of rice would be on that chessboard? I'll give you guys a second to figure it out. Carry the one. Okay, time's up. Uh, I think we have it on the screen. Here's the number. Actually, let me put my glasses on so I can read this accurately. I know you guys are blown away, by this. Okay, here's what this number is. It is 18 quintillion... 446 quadrillion, 744 trillion, 73 billion, 709 million, 551,615, give or take. That's a big number, isn't it? Yeah, so one, two, four, blah, 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 then 18 quintillion, da, 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 da. That's a big number. Or think of it another way. If we were to do this exercise with pennies, so one penny and then two pennies, Uh, we would finish the board with over $10 million. $10 million. So what's happening here? Look how quickly a little bit becomes a lot. Look how expediently a little becomes a lot. We start with a little, we start with one, and then we have two, and very quickly, we have more than we can realistically count. Now, we understand this concept. Uh, cellular biology works this way. In fact, this is happening in the room very right now. This principle is the reason you're alive, because your cells are multiplying with each other. They're multiplying the healthy, healthy, healthy cells, I can't talk today, uh, and they're getting rid of the unhealthy cells. This is happening in your person right now. Uh, compound interest. Our financial system runs on this principle. Take a little bit, it becomes a lot when you compound the interest Uh, Viral marketing, you guys heard about this? This is the aim of every marketing plan ever put together by a business. Uh, How can I take a little investment, a TV commercial, a radio spot, a Facebook posting? I mean, speaking of Facebook, this is how Facebook works. A friend shares with one friend, they share with others, they share with others, and soon they have what? You guys know the phrase, they've gone viral, right? Speaking of viruses, we have seen this evidenced in our world the last couple of years. A small, relatively weak virus multiplies so quickly it shuts down human capacity for the better part of two years. Isn't it amazing how a little bit can quickly become a lot? That's the principle of multiplication. Now, it's easy to think that this is something that we invented, but it actually turns out this is not only God's idea, but this is foundational to God's plan. For how he actually wants to run his universe, run his creation, and invite you and I into it. So there's a neat little phrase in scripture. It shows up uh, in, you know, about a dozen times or so. Uh, and we're actually gonna look at it in some detail this morning. The phrase is be fruitful and multiply. So I'm gonna warn you this morning, we're gonna do something a little different than we normally do. Uh, As Dave explained last week, normally when we we preach from the pulpit here, or music stand, as the case may be, we sort of anchor ourselves in a core passage and then we draw the points out of the passage. We're gonna do something a little bit different today. We're gonna trace this theme through the pages of Scripture. We're going to start on page one, go all the way through. We're going to meet Jesus and how he makes this principle come to life, and then we're going to see what it means for you and I. You are welcome to follow along in your Bible. We are going to move along pretty quickly. Um, so I won't hold it against you if you can't catch up, or so. Uh, but we're gonna, so we'll move quickly. You're welcome to follow along. We are gonna land in a certain place that I'll recommend that you turn to. It's 2 Timothy two two. Um, so you can be kind of casual getting there. That's okay. But let's start looking at this together. So we're actually gonna be right on page one of the Bible. We're gonna be in Genesis. We're gonna start in uh, chapter one, verse twenty two. And just to set the scene for you, this is God in the week of creation. On the fourth day, He does something pretty fun. He creates vegetation and The scripture tells us that he creates them with seeds, seeds so that they can bear fruit. So they're going to be be able to perpetuate their own growth. But on the fifth day, he makes animals. So let's look at this verse together. It says, and God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. So we see here God has made some plants, he's made some animals, and he loves it. He is really excited about this. He has started a party, and he wants this party to like, just go on and on and on and on and on. He has not made it to stay static. In fact, he's just getting started. On the sixth day, he does something that he's even more excited about, if you can believe it. He makes the man and the woman. Check out verse 28, still in Genesis 1. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So this leads us to our first point this morning, that is multiplication is an invitation into the creative work of God. It's an invitation into the creative work of God. Or another way to say this, God is throwing a party and he wants you and I to come, and he wants us to invite others. We are sort of the walking RSVP to this thing. Now, there's a, a, a word there that we want to make sure we understand. There's this word "bless" or "blessing." So, in a, in our culture, blessing is a little bit of a, a loaded term. It, it often means, or people use it in the means of favorable circumstances. You know, if I get a promotion at work, I have been blessed. If uh, you know, I, I I get an unexpected windfall financially, I've been blessed. Or that they, I got the last Taylor Swift record before they sold out at, at Target, I have been blessed. So we, we often talk about it as like our, the circumstances have been arranged favorably. You guys can tell I have teenage daughters, right? Yeah, the Taylor Swift record was a thing in my house. But thankfully, they were blessed and they did get one. Anyway, so but in the Bible, there's actually, a, it means something slightly different. It has a dual meaning. One is that it's a public declaration of favored status. So it's God saying to that person, that object, I like you. You are with me. You get to come to my party. So it's a public declaration of favored status. The other meaning is that God shares his own life such that the object can flourish. So not only am I inviting you to my party, but I'm going to give you something to drink, something to eat. You're going to have a nice place to sit. It's going to be awesome. So I'm not only, uh, you're my public declaration, you're on my team, you get to be part of the party, but I'm giving you my own life so that you can flourish. Do we get this? Awesome. So hang on to this idea because it's going to be really important as we go through here. Now, it turns out things don't go well. The man and the woman that he makes, Adam and Eve, they are not great party guests, they decide that they, you know, they'd know, they rather do this on their own term. Yeah, he's given them a, a great spread. He's got all these trees that they can eat from. He tells them, hey, this one tree is not good. Don't eat from that one. And they were like, oh, you know what? Let's eat from that one. And it's not good. Uh, turns out uh, they, are, uh, they bring sin and death into the world through their disobedience. They're expelled from the garden. But God is not finished yet. He still wants this fruitful and multiply thing to keep happening. So... A little while later, you know, as the story goes along, things start to spiral a little bit. Turns out, men and women, the sons of Adam and Eve, they're just as awful as Adam and Eve are, if not worse. So God decides, I'm going to start over. I'm going to wash these people away, but I'm going to start with a man named Noah. Scripture tells us that Noah is righteous and blameless before God. So God's like, okay, new plan. Actually, not new plan, just sort of refreshing the plan here. Noah, you're my guy. I'm going to get rid of these other people. I'm going to start over with you. So he says, build a boat. Build an ark. He actually gives them very specific dimensions. You want something fun, like read what the length and width of Noah's ark is supposed to be. It's kind of wacky. Um, so, so get on the boat, fill the animals two by two. You guys know the story, right? Uh, it rains for 40 days and 40 nights. And waters recede. And then look at what God says to Noah. He says, okay, go ahead and get off the boat. And then God says this. And God blessed Noah. Remember, blessing. so a public declaration of favor. And it gives his own life so Noah can flourish here. And his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So Noah gets off the ark and he starts multiplying. In fact, the next couple chapters in Genesis is just a list of all of Noah's sons and daughters and their grandchildren and great-grandchildren, blah, 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 on and on and on. And our story changes focus a little bit. We meet a man named Abraham. Um, and God says this to Abraham. He chooses him specifically and says, I'm, I'm going to focus this project on you. Look at what he says in Genesis 17:6. It says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings will come from you. Oh, this is pretty good, right? This, thing. this is not just a regular party, but this is gonna be like a royal party. We're gonna have kings happening out. Wow, this sounds great. This sounds really fun. There's a little hitch though, Abraham is really old. Like he's in his 70s, his wife is about that age, well past the age of childbearing. So you start to wonder, well, how's this going to happen? Well, to shorten the story, God gives him a son named Isaac, which literally means laughter, which just makes me laugh every time I hit that in the, in the story here, uh, and then he continues that blessing through him. There's a couple mentions of this. We'll skip these for now, uh, but turns out Isaac, go ahead, Isaac has 12 sons. Now, there's all kinds of family drama. There is strife and envy, and they, they sell one of their brothers into slavery, but God wants to keep this story going, so he says this to Jacob. In Genesis 35, 11, it says, "'And God said to him, I, will, "'I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. "'A nation and company of nations shall come from you, "'and kings shall come from your own body.'" So this widens the scope of the story for us. Jacob's sons eventually grow into a vast nation. They're enslaved in Egypt, but God sets them free and promises to return them to the land of their grandfather Abraham. He gives them the law, what we call the Torah, so they actually know what it looks like to be in daily communication with him. He actually gives them instructions, and they build this thing called a tabernacle, and they put it right in the middle of their gathering, and he promises to live there, his very presence in them, with them. So they can experience this uh, all the time. And they are going to live out this blessing. They're going to show other people what it looks like to to be fruitful and multiply under the power and and life of God. They're going to show people what the party looks like. But it turns out they are terrible partners. They're terrible party guests even. Uh, they, They engage in idol worship. They go worship other gods. They don't practice justice. They take advantage of the poor and the marginalized. They just go after sin, after sin, after sin. God has every right to walk away from this, but he doesn't. And that leads us to point number two, which is this. Multiplication is tethered to, but is not dependent on, our obedience. As the story keeps going here, we realize that the sons and daughters of Isaac and Jacob, they're just awful. They never obey him. Uh, But it shows us God is sovereign over all things. He does not need us to accomplish his purpose. But he invites us. He invites us to this party. He's throwing the party whether or not we show up. We are the ones who lose out when we don't engage with him, when we are disobedient. Jesus actually tells a story in the New Testament. He tells a story of a a rich king whose uh, son is getting married, and nobody comes to this wedding, which in their culture would be a huge insult. So his servants actually come to him and says, hey, nobody's going to come. And he's like, well, go invite like, the poor and the crippled and the lame. Just bring people into this party. See, the king, he's not going to stop throwing the party just because no one wants to show up. He's going to keep throwing the party. God has the same thing. God is not going to stop his plan to multiply and show favor and life and light to us just because we disobey. He doesn't do it for the Israelites. He's not going to do it for us. So even though they, the Israelites, and we disobey, God keeps things going. But, he gives them, but for the Israelites, he actually gives them over to their enemies, a, a country named Assyria and then a country named Babylon, and scatters them. But he leaves a little signal in the text that he's not done, that the story's going to continue. Look at Jeremiah 23, verse 3. So this is Jeremiah, one of the prophets, who spent the better part of his life imploring his Jewish brothers and sisters, hey, come back, come back to the party, come back, be fruitful, multiply, be obedient practice justice, worship. Don't worship the other gods, worship God, but they're scattered. But look at what he tells Jeremiah. He says, you know, then, so he's he's scattered them around the world, but then he says, then, talking about a future day, I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. This is like a movie or maybe one of your favorite TV shows where the, you know, the ends and then there's just something that comes on the screen that says, to be continued. You know? So the story's stopping here, but it's open that, okay, something else is going to happen. This part of the story is open. He's kind of left us hanging a little bit, but what's going to happen? How is this going to be continued? And that's when Jesus shows up on the scene. In fact, that's our third point. Multiplication is all about Jesus. So Jesus comes along, and this seems like what we've been looking for all along. Jesus loves being around people. Jesus is perfectly faithful to the word of God. Jesus is perfectly obedient, but also cool little things keep happening around Jesus. When Jesus is around, uh, people who are blind receive their sight. People who are sick, especially with like diseases of the skin and and blood, issues that are traditionally associated with death, they experience healing and life with him. So it's like, oh, okay, this whole be fruitful and multiply thing, this seems like it's starting to happen. Now, it's not quite as explicit in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we have this neat little phrase, be fruitful and multiply, so we can kind of trace that along. In the New Testament, it's not quite so clear. The, The We see it a lot in sort of metaphors and examples, but there's one guy, one of the writers in the New Testament actually does this really well. His name is Luke. So we've been studying the book of Acts. Luke wrote that along with the gospel that bears his name. Luke is not going to use this phrase, be fruitful and multiply, but he's going to do something pretty cool. He's going to show you the math. Let me show you what I mean. So Luke chapter 9, uh, verse 1. So Jesus, uh, he knows he's going to depart the scene soon enough, and we'll talk about that more in a second. So he wants to start uh, making sure that the party's going to keep going after he leaves. Look at what he does. He calls the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So Jesus has been on the scene for a little bit, and he wants others to start doing what he's been doing. So he starts with a group of 12, and he sends them out. We get this 12 people. Now, watch what happens one chapter later. This is chapter 10, verse 1. After this, they've gone, they've come back. He's ready to send them out again. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Okay, so in one chapter, we've gone from 12 to 72, Now, I'm no math whiz, but is 72 not a multiple of 12? I think it is. 12 times 6. Do I have that right? Somebody check my math. Yes. All right. Good. Thank you. Yeah. And so, just in case we're not clear on this point, if you read chapter 9, we're not going to do that this morning, but if you read chapter 9 in Luke, this is the story, probably a lot of us learned it in Sunday school, the multiplication of the loaves and fishes. So Jesus has a problem. He's got 5,000 people hanging out, but he only has enough lunch for one person. Do you guys remember what happens? What does he do? He multiplies the loaves and fishes. So out of a little, he makes a lot, plenty to serve all the 5,000 people that have showed up. And there's a neat little note in the story. It says that there were actually leftovers. When they gathered them up, there were 12 baskets left over. Coincidence? Not a coincidence, yes. And Luke wants us to see that. So Jesus multiplies. He turns a little into a lot. And there's plenty left over. Now, Jesus is not here just for fun math problems. Uh, His work is actually to accomplish our salvation and begin God's recreation of the world. So he even tells his apostles, these 12 and the the 72, that he's going to go away, but that he'll send the Holy Spirit. So later in the story, after his death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven, he has his disciples wait for the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And this is actually our fourth point. Multiplication is a work of the Spirit. So Luke picks back up the story in his uh, next book, which is Acts, and he resets things. Let's look at uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 15. So it's at the beginning of the book here. It says, In those days Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. So Jesus has left the scene. All of his followers are sort of gathered in one place. We're told that number is about 120. I like to think that the number would be 144, because that's double 72. It's also 12 times 12. I think the math is kind of neat there. But they say it's 120-ish, so we'll just, uh, we'll just go with that. And so this is where the Holy Spirit shows up. You remember, Matthew actually preached about this a few uh, months ago when we were going through Acts. And so you can see we're starting to move our way down the chessboard a little bit, right? So we had one rise, now two. You guys get this, right? Okay, you're with me. Okay, um, so we've gone from 72 to so about 120. The Spirit shows up. And we're starting to move to the second part of the chessboard. Now look at Acts 2.41. Things are going to start picking up here. Acts 2.41 says, those who received his word, this is Peter preaching a big sermon, and it tells us that the Holy Spirit actually descends. So those who received his word and were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Oh, okay. 12, 72, 120-ish, 3,000. Of course, starting to pick up some steam here, right? Now look at Acts 2.47 says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Okay, so the pace is starting to pick up here, right? Now that the Holy Spirit's on the scene, this thing is really moving. Now look at Acts chapter 4, verse 4. It says, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Whoa! We had 12, and then 72, and then 120-ish, and then 3,000, and now 5,000. I mean, yeah, you can see it. We're really starting to hit that part of the chessboard, right? This is starting to happen. And then let's look at one more verse in Acts. I told you we we're going to move fast here. Acts 5 verse 14. It says, "And more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women." Now, notice here, Luke is not even bothering with a tally anymore. Like he's not counting. He's just like it's a lot. We had 5,000. I don't really want to count much. He doesn't even have, he doesn't have a calculator. I don't know if abacuses do that or not. I don't really know how an abacus works. I don't know, maybe somebody does. But anyway, he doesn't have the tools to even count that high. So he's like, it's multitudes. We got a lot. We're moving along the chessboard here. So from, so it's a lot, right? And we've seen just in a few chapters here, we have a little bit and through the, you know, the life and love of Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, it multiplies so quickly that after a bit, we, we don't, we can't even count. You guys get that? You're with me? Awesome, okay, so now uh, some of you are like, okay, Matt, this is really fun, but what, what does this have to do with church planting? We're going to get there, I promise. Ready? We're ready to turn the corner here. From here, our story focuses a little bit uh, more closely, focuses on a man named Paul. We're going to learn more about Paul in our Acts sermon series coming up, so I'll give you the short version. Paul had been a, actually a, a rebel against Jesus, has a radical encounter with him and then becomes a disciple, moves all around the world, starting these little communities called churches around the Roman Empire, where he actually does this very same thing. He starts with a little and equips them so that they can become a lot. Let's watch his pattern. This is Acts 14, verse 23. So it's describing Paul moving around, and this is what he shows his pattern is. When they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So he goes to little cities like, uh, like Lystra and Thessalonica. He gathers people together who believe in Jesus. He teaches them, and he says, okay, I need to go work in another city now, but I'm gonna leave the work to you guys. You guys keep it going. This is the first example that we have of strategic church planting. Just hold that thought for a second here. That actually leads us to our fifth point, which is multiplication happens in and through the church. Or in other words, the church is where God wants to have the party. Multiplication happens in and through the church. So Paul sums up this notion succinctly in just one killer verse. He's writing to a young pastor that's one of his associates. It's a young man named Timothy. So he has sent Timothy off to do the work that he does in a, a different location. And he gets him, hey, simplest set of instructions. This is what I want you to do, Timothy. Here it is. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What you have heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses, trust to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also. So here it is, here's spiritual multiplication in a nutshell. What you've learned from me, you go share with others, who will share with others, who will share with others, and so on, and so on. And so my friends, this is why we care about church planting because it is the essence of multiplication. We aspire to be a multiplying church. Kind of the pattern that we've seen in Acts and the pattern that we see with Paul, we would love to see this pattern replicated with us. The things that you have heard from us, in trust and of faithful people who will be able to teach others also. We want multiplication to be the heartbeat of everything that we do. We want you out and about in your communities multiplying the life and love of Jesus into people who aren't yet believers so that they will become believers and they will be a part of this. They can learn from you. And then we want them to grow up in their faith. We want to join us in small groups so that together we can learn about the light and love of Jesus, how to be more obedient to him, how to have a great party with him and be a part of the story that he is writing. We want those small groups to multiply and multiply and multiply. This is why we spend so much time training up new leaders. We just finished a, a five, six week series with our leaders, teaching them about these principles and getting them ready to multiply their small groups. We want our ministry teams to multiply so that we can expand our capacity and ability to impact here in Northern Virginia. And eventually, we would love to be part of multiplying a church. We would love for things. This, this room, I think the sign on the, the door, wall over there says this room holds about 435. I'll check it after this, and I promise I'll correct it if I'm wrong. But, you know, eventually, Lord willing, we, we might need a little more space in this room. So we might need to multiply services, or we might, need to mul- we might need to multiply a new church. We might need to go to the school down the street and say, hey, you know what? We're pretty pretty full up here. It's time to multiply. But whether it's multiplying a new church or a new smog or whatever, we want multiplication to be the heartbeat of everything that we do. We want to be a multiplying church. And eventually that manifests in, in in church planting. It doesn't have to be exclusively church planting, but big picture, that's what we want to do. So let me tell you about kind of what, how this works a little bit. Let me give you a big picture, a couple things, how we go about church planting here at Fairfax Bible, and then let me put it on the ground level for you. So when it comes to strategic church planting, the primary way that we do that, not the only one, but the primary way that we do that, at least right now, is through our affiliation with a network called the Great Commission Collective. This is an organization of churches all around North America and around the world, including, as we've seen, Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. And these churches, most of them look a lot like us. They're relatively small, about our size. They mate in schools and gyms and, and some other buildings. And they're trying to do this very same thing. They are little, they want to multiply and grow and then reproduce. Uh, in, in other places as well and so we spend about five percent of our budget uh, contributing to this organization and in uh, 2000 just this year I think GCC has planted something around 15 new churches around North America and all over the world. In fact, they've had a big effort in Central Africa just this past year. So the money that we contribute and the partnership that we are part of is doing this work all around North America and even around the world. And you are part of that if you're part of uh, our body here at Fairfax Bible. Now, more specifically, there have actually been a couple efforts over the years that we've supported. We were part of the team that launched Harvest Annapolis. Uh, Many of you know our good friend Dan Hammer, who's uh, been a great friend of this church. He comes and speaks here sometimes. So when they were getting ready to launch uh, their church a few years ago, we were part of their financial support and we actually let them practice uh, with us a, c- a couple weeks. We were also part of the effort that did uh, Harvest Church Communities in Ashburn. Uh, so Rich Scheip is the pastor there. He's been a speaker here a few times as well. And we have been a longtime supporter of Harvest Kuala Lumpur, as we've talked about this morning. So we've been part of these efforts specifically and we've been praying as a group of elders, what what might the next step look like for us? You know, if uh, something like Harvest Annapolis or something like that came along what might we do in obedience to that? So I don't wanna share a ton of detail on that, but let me just give you a, a data point that, that hit me pretty hard. Uh, between 2011 and 2017, there were 220 church plant efforts here in the DC area, so Maryland, Virginia, DC, including ours. We were uh, launched in 2012. We celebrated our 10-year anniversary just a few weeks ago. Uh, of those churches, about 60 were in, among people where English is not their first language, which makes sense if you're gonna learn about the gospel, you wanna learn it in your heart language, we get that. Um, so of that remaining 160 churches, three of them were planted in neighborhoods that are predominantly minority, three. 220 churches, three of them in historically black, uh, Asian, Puerto Rico, or uh, Hispanic neighborhoods. I don't know about you, but it breaks my heart when I see that number. And so we have been thinking about what does that actually look like? Do we, are we part of the answer to that question that God is asking? So we've been having some conversations with people. I'm not breaking any news. I don't have any announcement for you. But, but we've, uh, we've had some discussions. Hey, if God were to do a work in some neighborhoods that aren't historically served well by church planting efforts, what might that look like? And could we be a part of that story? Could we be a part of making that a great party? So pray with us uh, on that, please. So again, and when we have more information, I promise that you have given it. So... Here's what it really comes down to. What we're really talking about here when it comes to multiplication and discipleship is this idea of maturity. What we're really after is maturity. The type of maturity that the writer of Hebrews 5 mentions in chapter five. Someone who can teach others. Now the sign of maturity in any organism is that it's able to reproduce. This is certainly true in biology, as we've mentioned this morning. But it's also true of the works of God. And so we care about strategic church planting because it is a demonstration of our maturity in Christ. And so as we mature and we grow in our ability to serve one another and love one another and share and do all of these things and we build into maturity, that cannot help but reproduce. That's the story that we're going for. We care about multiplication and we care about church planting because it demonstrates our maturity as a church. We, didn't, you know, we, we are not trying to multiply the brand of Fairfax Bible Church. We're not trying to multiply Matthew Nicosia, although he is pretty awesome. We're not trying to multiply Matt Rambaugh or the elders or anything like that. We're trying to multiply the light and love of Jesus. And again, as we're mature, that will show up in others. It's been said, this, tribu- this quote gets attributed to me, but I don't think I'm the first one to say it. I'm, I'm not that clever. The sign of maturity is reproduction. And so as we grow into a mature church, We ought to see reproduction, and hopefully that takes the form of planting a church or being part of a church planting effort somewhere. It has other manifestations as well, which I'll mention here in a second, but we don't want to lose sight of this. The sign of maturity is reproduction, even up to the point of church planting. All right, so let me bring this home. What does this mean for Monday? I want to give you three things to think about. The first is invest with us. And what do I mean when I say that? What I mean is just all of you over the last six weeks have probably had some next step form in your brain. Oh, yeah, I learned about disciple-making from JT. I want to be part of a more intentional disciple-making process. Hank taught me a lot about praying for people who aren't believers. I want to start a prayer list of of people that aren't believers. You've probably generated some next, next steps. Well, I want you to synthesize those and think about that. And at this point specifically, I want you to think about it in the life of our church. So maybe you've been hovering around the last few weeks. We love having you. Maybe consider being a member with us. We have a, a class coming up. I think it's November 20th about what membership at Fairfax Bible Church looks like. Go ahead and sign up for that. You can let us know on the next steps page. Consider like, really plugging in with us and making this your church family. Be on mission with us. Help us throw this party. If you have not joined a small group, join a small group. This is where the, the action really is in our church. If you're not serving with us in one of our ministries, I invite you to do so. Now, maybe even some of you this morning, you're like, oh, I'm not even really sure I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm not even really sure I, I could do that because I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't really even call myself a follower of Jesus. Well, maybe that's your next step. Maybe that's your next step today. Hey, today before you leave, if you're like, Matt, that actually sounds like a really great party. I want to go to it and I want to invite some others to it. You can come talk to me, talk to Matthew, talk to the person who brought you. Our prayer team will be up here. Find somebody to talk to. We would love to have that conversation with you. Maybe that's your next step. So whatever it is, invest with us. Second point I want to invite you to consider is give with us. Karis mentioned it in the announcements. We try and make it relatively easy for you to give. We've got the box over there. You can do it online. Um, now, I want, I want to share with you something really, uh, I'll try to be succinct here, but we're not hard up. We're, we're, we're actually doing really good as a church. There was a time where we wouldn't see that was true, where we weren't sure we could pay the bills. We can pay the bills. Like, we're okay. We're inviting you to give so that you can be part of the party. The more that you give, again, at least 5% of that goes out the door to church planting efforts. So the more that you give, the higher number we can make that. So if you want to be a part of that story, give with us. Not because we need the money or even God needs the money, but it's for your benefit. Remember, our obedience is tethered to, but it's not connected to multiplication. So it's for your benefit that we ask you to give so that you can be a part of that story. And then the third thing that I invite you to do, and this is really summing up the last six weeks, I want to invite you to live sent. Get out there. Uh, all the things that we have been talking about these last few weeks, tell people about the light and love of Jesus. I know many of you in your small groups are doing uh, Gospel Fluency, the study with Jeff Vanderstel. We actually had this session this week where he points out to us, you talk about what you love and you love what you talk about. I hope your love for Jesus has been deepened across these last six weeks so that you want to talk about him. Go do it, go talk about him. And hey, um, yep, th- your coworkers, your friends, the people on your CrossFit gym, your, your uh, people in your carpool, people in your mom's group. Uh, let me brag, where's, where's my friend Brian? Brian? There he is, I'm gonna brag on Brian just for a second. I, I told him I was gonna do this, he told me it was okay. A few weeks ago at Small Brian said, you know what, I think this is a really nice, neat idea, this whole living scent thing, but I'm not really sure how to get started. Uh, I don't know, so we, we prayed about it that night. Then Brian comes back the next week and he said, well, I thought about this, and I just thought I'd start with what do I like to do? Well, I like to exercise. So Brian went on Meetup, and he found an exercise group that does calisthenics, is that right, Brian? So push-ups and pull-ups, they meet in local parks and do this. And his timing was such that they, were, they had a competition. And so Brian was like, sure. So they invited him to come along to this competition, Brian won the competition. <laughs> Let's give Brian a hand, he won the competition, right? And so what do you think this has done for Brian? This has multiplied his invitation into that group because now they're like, hey, we're going to New York City next week. Do you want to come? Hey, we got this thing. We got this thing. Hey, Brian, it's great to have you here. Would you like to be a part of our team? So from a simple stepping out in obedience, look at the opportunities Brian has generated for himself. Look at what God has done in Brian. You guys get it? And Brian, you have been such an inspiration to me. I'm so proud of you. And I'm so excited to be on this journey with you. Thank you so much. Hey, we can all be Brian. We can all have this experience. All of us have something we can start with where we can get out there and God will multiply his light and love in us. He will fill us with his Holy Spirit and we will pour out. And it's gonna be a great party. It's gonna be awesome. So I really believe if we trust the Lord in this and demonstrate obedience, we're gonna look a lot like that chessboard. Grain upon grain upon grain the point that we can't even count, and I believe the Lord will be pleased that we joined his party in this, and I'm excited to be a part of that with you. Let's pray together. Well, Heavenly Father, you are a great God. You are good and kind and merciful and glorious and generous. Uh, and faithful and not only are you a good God good in your character you're good at being God your plans never fail your love endures forever Lord you have started a great party we are terrible party guests sometimes but you have a great party and Lord what a privilege it is to be able to invite others into that and Lord as we've looked at your word this morning and seen the power of multiplication how you stand ready and able to turn a little into a lot, not because of our awesome skills or talents or anything like that, but because it is your plan and your purpose for people to know you and Worshippers of you. What a privilege it is to be a part of that. And Lord, what a privilege it is to be a part of that with my friends here at Fairfax Bible Church. And God, the, the, even the, the anecdotal stories that I'm hearing of people stepping out in obedience to invite others to the party, Lord, it is a joy. And so, Lord, as we think about living uh, out this series and living sent, Lord, I pray that you would show us your favor. God, as, as we seek to be more obedient to you, that you will pour out your blessing on us public declaration of favor and a, a, a anointing with your own life so that we and others might flourish. God, we aspire to be a multiplying church. We want multiplication to be everything here. Um, we think that's your plan. We think that's how you work. Uh, and we think it's awesome. And we would love to be about that. So Lord, I invite you to multiply us. Help us to multiply into unbelievers. Help our small groups to multiply well so that we have more capacity to serve. Help our teams to multiply so that we're that much more effective in our community. And yes, Lord, Lord willing, uh, in your time and according to your plans, help us to be a part of multiplying uh, a church somewhere, either in Northern Virginia, around the world. Uh, Who knows? You know, God said that the party can keep keep going. You are an awesome God. This is a story worth telling. This is a journey worth being on. This is a party worth uh, being part of, Lord. You are awesome. We pray that you'd multiply your greatness and glory even among us. In Jesus' name we pray.